Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Uh, Let's go over to Ephesians 4, and uh, we'll continue with this that we have uh, been looking at on uh, the subject of the mature believer, the mature believer. And, uh, of course, Ephesians 4 has been our foundation scripture, and we'll spend quite a bit of time here tonight. Uh, We've got a lot to get to you, and and, uh, I'll do my best not to just fire hose you, but uh, we, we got a lot to get into and uh, so the goal of the Christian life is maturity. It is to grow up. And uh, Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, under the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine uh, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ." And so we've talked at length, and I won't take a lot of time on this tonight. Verse 12, it says, for the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting is to be equipped or furnished. So it says that these gifts are in the body uh, so that the body can be equipped and furnished. And then in uh, the next verse, verse 13, it says, uh, unto a perfect man. That's a fully grown or a completely mature person. So the reason for that equipping is that we arrive at full adulthood in, in uh, our faith and in the body of Christ. And uh, then he said in verse 15, of course, speaking the truth in love or speaking the truth enfolded in love. So a mark of spiritual maturity is the ability to speak the truth in love. But uh, if, if, if we look at something here, back in verse 13, that first phrase says, until we all come in the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith. This is so important. The word unity, it means uni- unanimity. Uh, it means uh, oneness or agreement. All right? Now, of course... When it says, I've heard people say over the years, well, it doesn't say the unity of doctrine. It says the unity of faith. That's exactly right. Because uh, there are different doctrines in our faith. But our one faith is Christ alone. All right? And so he says that there has to be this unity in the faith. Unity in the faith. Unity is a prerequisite for maturity. If any church, any group, anybody wants to grow to the place that they can grow, there has to be unity. There has to be uh, uh, this unifying force within that body. And Paul says here, in, in the context of growing up, he says that we need to come into the unity of the faith. All right? And then in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, you're right there, notice... <clears throat> He says, well, let's start in verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation where you're called. And notice how he says to do this. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And then he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Other translation says, endeavoring to keep that unity. Another one says, earnestly striving to maintain that unity, that oneness, that agreement. All right? 
Now, this is very important because Paul says this is what we need to be endeavoring to do. Focusing on keeping unity. Amen. Now, there's a reason for that. There's a very uh, powerful reason. In the book of Psalm chapter 133, and then we'll come back to Ephesians, but Psalm 133, the uh, psalmist says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He says, It, the brethren dwelling together in unity, is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garment. As the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, there the Lord, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. So the blessing, we see here that the blessing flows at its fullest in an atmosphere of unity. Whether it's in your life or whether it's in the life of the church as a whole, the blessing flows at its fullest in an atmosphere of unity. You'll remember the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter, and he wrote to husbands. He wasn't writing to, to, to couples. He wrote to husbands. And he talked to the men, and he said, uh, you need to dwell with your wives according to knowledge, giving honor to your wife as the weaker vessel, so that your prayers aren't hindered. Now, I've heard people quote that and say, well, yeah, the, you're, you're, you know, you got to keep strife out of your marriage or uh, the husband's and wife's prayers won't be, uh, won't be heard. Peter was writing to husbands. That was not addressed to wives. That was addressed to husbands. Now, the reason this is important is because in a natural family, in, in, in a marriage relationship, the Bible says there's a head over that union. Is that right? Amen. Amen. And if there is no unity in that union, then the blessing can't flow the way that it could. Amen. If, if there's no unity in the body, see, the head is Christ. He's never at odds with anybody. But if there's no unity in the body, what is on the head can't get to the body in the measure that it could. Because it doesn't flow. If the head of a home is out of sorts, the blessing can't flow like it could because there's no unity. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, back in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, and we'll start in verse 4. Notice he said, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he says, there is one body, notice, and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Now, notice, he says there is one body. There's only one body of Christ. One body. Then he says, one spirit. Right? There's, there's only one Holy Spirit. Just one. And then he said, one Lord. Well, there's only one Lord, Jesus. That's it. One Lord. And then he says, one faith. Well, what is that one faith? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, notice, one baptism. One baptism. Now, if we stop right there, there's all kind of theological arguments that go on here. One baptism. Well, well what do you mean? And, and you'll have people say, well, you know, is, is that baptism in Jesus' name? Or is that baptism in, and they'll call it the titles, you know, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about being baptized into Christ. There's one baptism, and that's being baptized into Christ. Understand something. Baptism never saved anybody. If you're born again and baptized in the name of Jesus, you're going to heaven. If you're born again and baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, you're going to heaven. Amen. Amen. It's being baptized into the body of Christ, being baptized into the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us about being baptized into Christ. In other words, there's only one baptism that gets you into the body, and that's the baptism into Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. See, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. He said that there's one faith. We have to come into the unity of the faith. 
Because you'll never have unity of doctrine. Amen. I've had, I've had people chase me down to argue with me about baptism. I mean, chase me down to argue with me. I, w- I was leaving, and it just happened to be in a, in, in a prison Bible study. And I was, I was leaving. I was walking out of the compound. I was almost at the guardhouse. And, uh, and, and one of the guys, one of the inmates came running up behind me and said, Pastor Steele, I got a question for you. And I said, okay. And, uh, and, and he got me and he goes, how do you baptize? I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. I said, uh, in water. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. I said, no, brother, I don't know what you mean. He said, do you baptize in the name of Jesus or do you baptize in the titles? Well, I knew where he was going. Amen. Because, because there's a doctrinal, you know, there's a doctrinal stance that says if you're not baptized in Jesus' name only, you're not going to heaven. You're, you're not going to heaven. If you're not filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name only, you're not going to heaven. And so, so he started going down that road. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me help you, let me help you. I said, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And he just looked at me, and I said, and then Peter and Paul both said, baptize in the name of Jesus. That's what Peter said when he preached. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of your sins. Isn't that right? Paul said to baptize in the name of Jesus. Now, now think about this for a moment. You say, what's this got to do with the message? Because it's about unity. Here's the thing, if, if, if Paul contradicted Jesus and Peter contradicted Jesus, then you've got to throw the four Gospels away, Paul's writings and Peter's writings. You don't have much left. Right? Amen. Because the issue is not the, the name or the titles, the issue is what you enter into when you're baptized. He said, you go and you baptize, the literal Greek, when Jesus said, in the name, into the name, into the name, into the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so someone will say, well, but what is the name of the Father? The Father. What is the name of the Son? Jesus. What is the name of the Holy Ghost? Holy Ghost. See, it doesn't make sense. Well, we know the name of the Father. They'll say it's Jesus. The name of the Son is Jesus. The name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. Well, but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says God is God the Father. Jesus is God the Son. And the Holy Ghost is God the Holy Ghost. Amen. See, so here's, here's the thing. That, that doctrinal issue doesn't matter. But people divide the faith based on what their doctrinal preference is. There's people that won't, won't fellowship with you if you believe in, in women being in ministry. There are people that won't fellowship with you if you don't speak in tongues. There are people that won't fellowship with you if you do speak in tongues. Here's the problem. It's hurting the body. It hurts the body. It hurts the body. Anytime there's a lack of unity in the body, local or universal, it hurts the body. Amen. Amen. That's so important. So Paul says this is unity, that we understand there's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That is unity. Where there is no unity, Christ is not the head. Where there's no unity, Christ is not the head there. Amen. And what... What hurts unity more than anything else is this attitude of self-seeking. That will stop unity. Notice what he said here in chapter 4 and verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Forbearing one another in love. Hallelujah. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 and uh, verse 5. Talking about love, Paul says concerning love, it does not behave itself unseemly, and here's the phrase, seeketh not her own. One translation says, never selfish. Love 
is never selfish. Another one says, love is never self-seeking. And yet another says, love does not pursue selfish aims. Never selfish. Love is never selfish. Never selfish. Never self-seeking. That destroys unity. In a natural home, if, when you've got somebody that's all about them, it ruins the unity in that home. Amen. I always, when, when, I, when our, all of our kids were home, and, and even with, with uh, uh, our little one now, we're, we're quick to point out, nobody in this home has the right to bring strife in. Nobody has that right. You don't have the right to come in and cause strife just because you had a bad day. That's selfish. That's self-seeking. Amen. When when a part of the body becomes selfish and begins to become self-seeking, it begins to hurt the body. Because that love is never selfish. And we say that out loud. Love is never selfish. Never selfish. Amen. Amen. Never selfish. When, when you've got a home and you've got a marriage and you've got a family and everybody is given 100% towards the unity in that home, you'll have peace and unity. You'll have, you'll have heaven on earth because nobody's being selfish. It's not about me. It's about the body. It's not about me. It's about the home. It's not about me. It's about everybody else. Yeah. Amen. When, when you're constantly looking How can I, according to what Paul said in Ephesians 4, when you're constantly looking, how can I forbear with that person? How can I walk in meekness with that person? How can I do something for them? Now, somebody will say, well, but you know, this person's done me wrong over and over again. You need to go back to number six in this series and hear where we talked about love with boundaries. You've got to walk in love, but you can walk in love with boundaries. Paul's not saying, let somebody continually do you wrong. All right, he's, say, he's saying your job is to keep selfish aims out of the church and out of your life and work on and maintain and work towards unity. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> unity is so key to everything that God wants to move us into. Everything that God wants to move us into. You know, I learned, I learned a great lesson on unity years ago, years ago, probably 30 years ago or more. Well, I've been playing the drums since I was uh, 10 years old, so 44 years. And, and I learned something years ago. The drums are not the lead instrument. They, they, they go with every, every other instrument. Amen. And if you want unity, you, you play your part. I'm the rhythm section. I keep the beat. Amen. And if you want unity, you don't want to be out in front and be the lead instrument. Drums sound really bad as the lead instrument. You understand? They just do. And if you want unity, you understand your place. You understand what I'm supposed to be doing. And everybody's thinking the same way. Everybody's acting the same way. Everybody's speaking the same thing. That's what Paul said over and over again. I beseech you, brethren, that you all speak the same thing. Amen. Why is that so important? Because then there's no selfish aims. Amen. Then there's no selfish aims. Hallelujah. Notice 1 Corinthians 8. Now, that word selfishness, it has a really long definition, but the, the gist of it is this. Is that selfishness is just a person that uh, cares about their own happiness, the advancement of what they want, with no concern about the interests of other people. Amen. But selflessness means that you're more concerned with the needs and wishes of other than your own. So, in the body, we're not selfish, we're selfless. Amen. First Corinthians 8 and verse 1. Paul writes and says, Now, 
as touching things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but charity, love edifies. So he's writing, and, he's, and when you read the entire chapter 8, this part of this letter, he's, he's referencing uh, people that have knowledge that these meats that were offered to idols, that the idols are, are not gods. And so they, they have the knowledge that there's nothing wrong with the meat that's been offered to these idols. All right? But Paul says you have a knowledge that that's right. He says, but knowledge puffs up. One translation says, knowledge makes you arrogant. Right? So you have this knowledge, and, and there's an arrogancy that follows it. But he says, here's the problem. You are not paying attention to your weak brother that doesn't have the same knowledge you have. Right? One translation says, But we should remember that while knowledge may make a man look big, it's only love that can make him grow to his full status. Only love. Amen. And in this context, it's caring what the other person thinks or how it may affect the other person. Amen. Do you see that? If, if, if I don't care about how it affects someone, then I'm operating in selfishness. Amen. When, 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 in, in the local church, you have to be more concerned about the person sitting next to you than your right to be offended. Mm, I should say that again. You, you, you have to be more concerned about the person next to you than your right to be offended. Well, if you only knew what they did to me, it wouldn't matter. It doesn't change what the Word says. The, the, the Word still says that I'm supposed to prefer my brother. Is that right? I'm supposed to prefer my brother. Amen. Because anything else is selfish. Well, it doesn't matter how it affects them. It does matter. Because, because the Bible says that I should not put a stumbling block in front of my brother or sister. Now, I know there are people that take this too far and, and think that, you know, you should just be, uh, 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 you know, not, not confront anything or not challenge anything. That's not what I'm talking about. What I mean is a person that gets offended, a person that wants to rock the unity in the body, it's because they are only selfish and only concerned with their own needs. Amen. Not taking into consideration the body. Think about that for a moment. If, if, if one part of your body didn't want to do its job, think about that. What if you got up tomorrow morning and your right arm just decided it was offended and didn't want to be part of the body? Right? Now, that's, that's a little humorous, but think about it. How would you go about your day? For most of us, our right arm is our dominant hand. How, how would you function the rest of the day with your non-dominant hand? I don't know about you. I could write, but it, I mean, it would look like Lily's writing. Amen. Which is pretty good. You write really good. All right? You understand? I mean, what, what if you got up and, and your left leg just decided I'm not cooperating today? I have something against the body. See, it's, it's the body. The body. The body functions in unity. Your body, your physical body, functions well because everything's in unity. Amen. Amen. And every part of the body complements the other part of the body. Your sight complements your, your, your hearing. Your hearing complements your seeing. Your hearing complements your speaking. Your, right? It's much easier to speak when you can hear correctly. It's much easier to understand when you can see correctly. Yes, sir. Amen. When one part of the body decides I'm all about me and not about the body, then the whole body suffers. Everybody suffers. Hallelujah. And Paul says that knowledge puffs up. Well, I, I learned this some years ago. And, and Pastor Michelle and I hadn't been married very long. And uh, I, this was before we were even in the full-time ministry. And I was working for an auto detail place. A uh, relative owned an auto detail shop. And I was there. I would detail cars. And uh, we had been down at the, uh, uh, at the office 
uh, there in the evening for a Bible study down at the, the office there in, in the detail bay. And uh, uh, there was a young man there that hadn't been saved very long. I mean, maybe, maybe a few months, a couple months. And I was out in the, in the detail bay talking to another uh, believer, and he was talking. Uh, I didn't have the money to do this. He did. But he was talking about a heavyweight fight that was coming up, and he was going to rent the pay-per-view. All right? And, and, you know, I mean, you know, I've watched fights. It's not what I do. I mean, I, I guess if you say, do you enjoy them? Not really. But, I mean, you know, I've watched before. And, but he was talking about that, and we were, we were discussing it. Well, this young man that had not been saved very long comes up, and he goes, what? Wait, prize fight? Well, you're not going to watch prize fight, are you? He said, all that violence? That's not very Christian. Well, you know, now, whatever your opinion on that is, I personally think God has more things to be concerned about than whether or not you're watching a prize fight. But, but the, the, the point is, is I recognize right there, now i got to watch what I say. Because I know that it's not a sin. It's a preference, but not a sin. But am I, do I wound him? Because I could say, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with watching that. Then what's he going to think? What, what else is there nothing wrong with watching? Amen. Amen. See, I had to care about the body. Paul said there are parts of the body that are weaker than other parts. And he, and he said, for me, don't destroy your weak brother. Just because you know that's okay and you're thinking about the, the, the pork chop or the steak or whatever, don't destroy your weak brother because of meat. If every believer in our churches would take the time to consider how is my actions going to affect other people? You know, somebody can get mad and get offended and and I can see it and it don't affect me. Because I'm grown. Not as grown as I'm going to be. Right? But but I'm more mature. It it doesn't affect me. I, I understand people can be childish. I didn't say you're childish. I said people can be childish. Right? Children get offended. Immature children get offended. Grown, mature adults don't. Because we've learned to overcome that. Amen. Remember when you first got married, those of you that are married, remember when you first got married, and, and, you know, you're, you're, uh, especially if you got married very young, man, that was a learning process, a maturing process. Amen. Isn't it? Uh, right? Because, because I had to learn to care about what the other person thought. Amen. I, I had to grow up. It was, it was no longer okay to throw a fit and get my way. Oh, hallelujah. But the, but the bottom line is, is that selfishness has its root in pride. Selflessness has its root in humility. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pride will cause me to be self-focused instead of others-focused. Pride is, in essence, an exaggerated sense of oneself. Look, look at 1 Timothy 3. Am I helping you so far? See, because the goal is to grow up. I've, I've, I've uh, counseled marriages before, and my best counseling advice was to look at them and say, both of y'all need to grow up. Because you're mad about nothing, and it just doesn't matter. 1 Timothy 3.6. Now, Paul here uh, is talking about the office of a bishop or an overseer, and he gives the qualifications. And in verse 6, he says, not a novice, but the word, the word in... Uh, in Greek is a neophyte, and it means it, it carries it's it's the description of a of a baby plant. All right, it's a plant that's just planted. Uh, other translation says one newly come to the faith or a new convert. All right, but here's the point: not a novice. Here's why: less being lifted up with pride, he fall under the same condemnation of the devil. That, that in the Greek, when it says left being lifted up with pride, it means swirled in smoke. All right? 
One, one translation says besotted with pride, swirled in smoke. It carries the idea that this guy is lifted up and, and he's just in this column of smoke and he can't see the truth because he's so focused on him. Besotted by pride. Amen. And notice what he says. He says that the result of this is that he'll fall under the same condemnation of the devil. One translation says, fall under similar sentence as the devil. So the danger with pride is, number one, it's a sin. And number two, it will not allow you to see the truth. One man said this, he said, we should take heed of pride because it is a sin that turned angels into devils. Hallelujah. And so notice what Paul says. He doesn't say that this young man doesn't have a call or that he doesn't have an anointing. He says he needs to grow up so he's not lifted up with pride. So what is the issue then with pride? It has its roots in immaturity. The more immature you are, the more, the more prone you are to have pride in your life. And pride in turn is selfishness which destroys unity. Amen. Go, go with me to Ezekiel 28. Let, let's look at something here. Because he said he'll fall under the same condemnation of the devil. The same condemnation of the devil. And Ezekiel 28 and verse uh, 12. He says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Now, in the first part of this chapter, he mentions a man called the prince of Tyrus. Now here we see the king of Tyrus or the king of Tyre. All right? And, uh, well, there's, there's a law of biblical interpretation. It's called the law of double reference or the law of double mention. All right? And very often you'll see things mentioned in doubles in, in the Scripture. And uh, they're, 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 they're talking about two different things, but they're mentioned as the same thing. The, one of the best examples I have is Mount Zion. Well, there's a physical, natural Mount Zion that the Bible references. But then in Hebrews chapter 12, the Bible calls the church Mount Zion. Calls you and I Mount Zion. So it's, it's a double reference to Mount Zion, but this Mount Zion means the church, and this Mount Zion means the, the, the heavenly city, the nation of Israel, all right? Well, the, the prince of Tyre was a, a physical, natural prince whose heart was lifted up in pride. But then he comes over here, and he begins to address the root behind that, the king of Tyrus. And notice, say, say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, you sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You have been in Eden, the garden of God. Well, we know that's not a man because no man was in Eden, the garden of God, ever since God put Adam and Eve out of it. So he's not talking to a man. Notice, every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of your tabrays. That, that means your, your bells, your, your tambourines. And of your pipes was prepared in thee the day that you were created. So we know obviously he's not talking about a man. Right? Then he goes, you are the anointed cherub that covereth. In other words, in, in, in the Hebrew, that's the angelic being that flanked God's throne. Alright? This is important. Because this being, which we know is Lucifer, was in the very presence of God. Not only in the presence of God, he covered the throne of God. Amen. Now, now I don't know, I, I've heard a lot of people that went to heaven. But recently I, I, I watched Jesse Duplantis. He retold his story about going to heaven, his, his experience of going to heaven. And, and he said, you couldn't even get within any, any proximity of the throne and you was on your face because the glory was so strong. Now, I'm not preaching that for doctrine, but it makes sense. It's what the Bible says. The Bible says the glory is so strong at times in the book of Revelation that the four and 20 elders fall on their face. Hallelujah. 
So here's my point. Evidently, obviously, if, 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 in my opinion, the glory would be its strongest right over the throne. And Lucifer covered the throne. And I have set you so. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked up and down in the midst of, of the stones of fire. Now, now notice, this is his position. He's in heaven. He's covering. He's flanking the throne. Right? And then it says, notice, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. Until iniquity was found in you. Well, what was that iniquity? Verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You have corrupted your wisdom by reason of your brightness. And then he said, I'll cast you down. At some point, wherever it was in eternity's past, Lucifer became aware of how beautiful he was. And when he became aware of how beautiful he was, his heart was lifted up in pride. And when his heart was lifted up in pride, he forgot what he was created to do. He was created to serve. The Bible tells us in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, you know the, what it says at the end of Hebrews chapter 1, it says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those that should be heirs of salvation? That's, that's all angels, all ministering spirits. So in the beginning, when God created every angelic being, He created them with this purpose in mind, that they would be ministers to us under the new covenant that, that are, are heirs of salvation. That would have included Lucifer and the third of the angels that followed him in his rebellion. That was their purpose. That was their job. Amen. But his ability, he forgot he, he was created to serve. His beauty, his ability was all given to him so that he could serve God. There are people who say he was the worship leader in heaven. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that uh, specifically, but it's very possible. But here's the point. If that was his job, that's what he was supposed to be doing. But somewhere he started, watch, looking at himself. And when he started looking at himself, he forgot what his job was. When any part of the body starts looking at themselves and focusing on themselves and focusing on this and focusing on that, they forget what their part of the body is and disunity is the result. And anytime there's disunity, understand, anytime there's disunity, there will be a loss, but it will be the biggest loss to the person that caused it. Amen. Paul said, remember what Paul said? He said, there's one body. And he said, every part of the body is not the same. He said, the hand can't say there's no need of me because I'm not the hearing. Or the eye can't say there's no need of me because I'm not the smelling. Amen. Ever what your part is, we need your part in the body, but you have to be functioning in unity. You can't be a hand and say, I want to be a foot, or you can't be an eye and say, I want to be an ear. You have to function where God told you to function. I've, I've learned something over the years in leading people is, is, is you got to study people's personalities. You know, most corporations give people a personality test now. Because, because they're, they're, they're very educated, they're very gifted. But if you take a very educated, gifted person and put them in a position where their personality is not a fit, they'll, they'll be frustrated and you'll be frustrated. They'll probably get fired or quit. Amen. You know, there are people that work very good behind the scenes. And if you put them out front, they're going to fail. Amen. Hallelujah. Did you see that? I've got a guy that's been with me for years, and he's a very good number two man. And he don't mind being a number two man. He, he, he works very good behind the scenes. Amen. And he does all right out front, but really good behind the scenes. Because he knows his part. He knows his place. Hallelujah. So everybody, everybody in here has something to do for God. And we need everybody. In the sense that you help make up the body. But every part has to be in unity. Amen. Hallelujah. The iniquity that was found in Lucifer was pride. Pride turned Lucifer 
into the devil. Now think about that. Pride turned the anointed cherub that covers, that flanks the throne. Pride turned him into what the Bible says, that old serpent. Wow. We used to call him Slewfoot. I don't know if people still call him that or not. Amen. The devil, the accuser. He went from covering God's throne to accusing people that love God. Why? Because of pride. And pride is still what drives him. Amen. Pride has no concern for the other person. Think about this. The best estimate we have for the number of angels, according to the book of Revelation, is 100 billion billion. It's quite a bit. Well, we don't know what there were before a third of them fell. How many billions there were. But however many there were, Satan led them in rebellion and didn't care. He did not care that they were going to be eternally punished. That some would be bound in chains forever. And he didn't care. It was just all about him. I will ascend. I will set my throne above God. I'll be like the Most High. And they all followed him in his rebellion. And God said, well, that'll be the day. And that was it. Now, now think about this. Disunity came to heaven. And it came through pride. It came through selfishness. Now, it didn't stay. Amen. But it, but it happened. There was rebellion in heaven. Now people will say, they'll say, well, yeah, and now angels don't have free will. No, that, that can't be right. Because everything that God created as spirit beings have free will. But the, the, the ones that stayed with God made their choice and will never change their mind. The ones that went with Lucifer made their choice and cannot change their mind. Because they followed him. In a senseless rebellion. They were not tempted to do it. They did it out of pride. The difference between Adam and Eve is they were deceived. Satan was not deceived. He did it out of his own volition. He chose to do it. The Bible says Eve was deceived. Satan was not deceived. He looked at himself and said, I deserve to be God. And it cost him. Anytime. Someone says, I deserve my rights. I deserve, I have a right to be offended. I have a right to hold a grudge. I have a right. If you only knew I have a right, that will put you under the same condemnation of the devil. That is devilish. That is satanic. Because nobody has that right. I don't have a right to hold a grudge against you. And now I'm talking about fellow believers. You really don't have a right to hold a grudge against anybody, but especially believers. Amen. Hallelujah. That, that, that's why, you know, it's a, it's a moot point. It's, it, honestly, it's, it's a moot point in our cancel culture and all this. You know, you've got, you've got certain groups of people that are trying to make other groups of people pay. That'll never work. That'll just cause more civil unrest. That, that'll just cause what we see here in the Bible. That'll just cause more and more rebellion. Because you start trying to make people pay that don't owe you anything and they're going to rebel. And then because they won't pay, you'll rebel. And now you've got two rebellious, rebellious group of people and they're clashing. What's the answer? According to the scripture, the answer is that you work for unity. And unity doesn't come by me giving you your way. Unity comes by both people seeing we're both wrong, we both have issues that we got to deal with, and let's meet at the table and work them out. Hallelujah. That's why Jesus said, remember what He said in the book of Matthew? He said, if, you have, if your brother has ought against you or there's a problem, go to him. Tell him his fault. Talk about it. Work it out. 
And he said, if he won't listen to you, get another brother and go and try to work it out. And if he still won't listen, take some more brothers and go and try to work it out. In other words, Jesus is saying, no, nobody is throwaway. Nobody is cast away. There's no bridges that a believer can really afford to burn. Jesus is saying, you do everything you can do to produce unity in the body. And then if they won't listen, let them go. Actually, he said, put them out. This is so important because, because everything that God wants to do in a local church, in a body, is contingent upon unity. So when Lucifer got his eyes off what he was created to do, he became the focus. And that was, that was his downfall, is when he became the focus. See, serving requires the absence of pride. You can't serve others when you're the focus. And you also can't serve because, because there's this idea, you know, that, that, that well, you know, Jesus said, if, if I wanted to be great, I need to serve. And so there are people that just want to be great, so they'll, they'll serve because they want to be great. But the people that become great are people that are serving with no idea about becoming great. It's just, I, I just want to serve. Hallelujah. I remember one time I was sitting with a pastor friend of mine, and uh, he was asking me questions. And he wasn't asking me questions about, uh, you know, spiritual things. He was asking me questions. He asked me questions like this. Uh, How'd you get Charles Capps to come to your church? How'd you get so-and-so to come to your church? How'd you do it? How'd you do it? How'd you do it? And he, he, he didn't understand my answer. I said, I ask. <laughs> That's, I wrote a letter and I asked. First time, I, I, I wrote a letter to Charles Capps and invited him to come to the church. And he answered me back in a really nice letter and said, no. And two weeks later, I got a call from his wife, Peggy, and he, and, and he said, uh, she said, Charles has been praying, and the Lord told him he needs to come to your church. I said, well, let me check the calendar and make, no, I didn't, that'd be a lie. I said, okay, hallelujah. But, but here's my point. He just couldn't get, he couldn't believe that all I did was ask. See, he was trying to build his church through guest speakers. He was trying to build his church he wanted all of these people to be his friend. It was not about getting a, 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 an impartation to his church. It was not about feeding the body. It was about me getting in the circle of these guys. If, that, if that's your aim, you can do that. There are ministers that will come to your church just tell them you'll give them $10,000 and pay all their expenses and they'll come preach at your church. Amen. I, I've been there. There's people we've invited and they said, well, it's going to be $10,000. Well, no, thank you. <laughs> Not that I think that's wrong in, in the sense of, but there's no, my, my, my pastor's wife taught me there's no touch of the spirit on demands. And, and when you've got somebody making demands on you, they're not flowing in the right spirit. Hallelujah. So you, I, I want to bring people in, and that was always my goal, is to bring people in that's going to feed the sheep. Bring people in that's going to edify the body. Not just because they're the latest, greatest, biggest thing. Hallelujah. Well, he never could figure that out. And, and, and he went after it with gusto, and he paid a lot of money. And one day, one day he had me over to preach at his church, and I was, I was ministering. And uh, we got done ministering. We were sitting in his office. And he said, man, I, and he told me all the thousands of dollars he had spent bringing guest ministers in. And his mindset was, and if I got one person out of those meetings, I don't know anything about it. And I thought to myself, that's not the purpose. You didn't bring those people in to get people into your church. People, oh, Lord, help me. People, people are drawn to the office of the pastor. The office of the pastor has the ability to draw people. If people come to your church and feel safe and feel secure and feel loved and feel cared for, they'll come back. Amen. And if you, if you bring in somebody that's well-known, then they get a bonus. But they get you every week. Amen. And that's what you've got you've to work on. You, you know, he got, he got so wrapped up in that. He got so tied up in that. He, he ruined his church financially. Just destroyed it financially. Ended up having a massive stroke. Almost died. Had a massive stroke because of financial pressure. 
and, and up, being upset and offended. He told me, all, I brought this guy in and, 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 and paid this, and I brought another guy in and paid this, and then when I called them, they were like they didn't even know me. And I wanted to say, well, they don't. They don't know you. You asked them to come, and they said, this is what it will be required for us to come, and you paid that amount of money. So they came. Yes, they're doing the work of God. They love the Lord, but they came because it was a date on their calendar. Not because you were their buddy. See, all of that was about him. I'm not running him down. I love him, but it was all about him. Everything in the body of Christ, the local church, is about the body. That's why Paul wrote, remember in the, in the book of Acts, he said, he said you got to watch because the grievous wolves are going to come in. People are going to rise up from among, among you and, and, and they're going to draw disciples to themselves because they're, right? And he said, you got to watch for that. you you got to watch out for the body. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Notice it wasn't about the shepherd. It was about the sheep. When you make the decision that everything that I'm doing is not about me, it's about the person sitting next to me me, it's about the person sitting in front of me, then the church grows. Amen. Let, 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 let me hurry real quick. Philippians chapter 2. I'm watching my time. I think I can do this. Hallelujah. I remember one time I had an opportunity to sit with Dr. John Holland. And Dr. John Holland was, uh, at one time, he was the pres- international president of the Four Square denomination. And uh, 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 I was at a conference in uh, uh, Arizona, Phoenix, at the Biltmore Resort. And uh, uh, the, the, the head of the fellowship there asked my wife and I to come to, to their uh, bungalow or whatever they call it there at the Biltmore. And Dr. Holland was there. And there was a lot of other people there. But I noticed Dr. Holland was over sitting by himself. It always bothers me. It always bothers me when, when you've got these great generals of the faith and nobody cares to talk to them and, and, and get any information from them. Amen. Uh, and, and so I went over, and I just had a moment, and Dr. Holland, this was not long before he passed away, and, and uh, uh, I got to go over and talk to him, and I sat down, and, and we were visiting for a moment, and I said, may I ask you a question? And he said, yes, and I said, uh, in your opinion, in all your years of pastoring, I said, what's the most important thing a pastor can do for his church? And without, think, without blinking an eye, he said, love your people. That's it. That's the most important thing you can do. Amen. Man, that stuck with me. Because love, remember, love is not self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. So, so you never use people. You love people. You care about people. Amen. Philippians 2, 1 through 8, he says, If there's any consolation, any comfort of love, any uh, fellowship of the Spirit, bowels, mercies, fulfill my joy, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And then he says, let nothing be done through strife, vainglory, and lowliness of mind. Let each esteem better than himself. Here's what I wanted you to get. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you that it was also in Christ. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took on him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. So notice, first of all, we see the mind of Christ was the mind of a servant. He made himself of no reputation. Matthew 12, Isaiah's prophecy, Matthew 12, 18 through 20. It says, my servant will not strive. He'll not raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not harm. In other words, Jesus will make himself of no reputation. The Bible says that if we saw Jesus, there was no comeliness or anything about him that would make us think that he was somebody. Why? Because he didn't self-promote. He didn't self-promote. Over and over again, you see Jesus healing people and say, now see that no man knows it. Now that always bothered me because one time he healed a blind man, two of them, and said, see that nobody knows it. How's that possible? You used to be blind and now you're not. In, in, in other words, he, he, Jesus was not using those miracles and signs and wonders to promote himself. He said, everything that I do, the Father does the work through me. 
I only say those things my father says. I only do those things my father tells me to do. Is that right? Every time he had the opportunity, he was shifting the glory to the Father. It was never about him. There was times the Bible says that the multitude came to him and he healed all their sick and told them, don't tell anybody. See that nobody knows it. Remember when he healed the, the woman, the Syrophoenician woman? Uh, uh, one of the four Gospels says that he was there and that he was in a house and he didn't want anybody to know he was there, but he couldn't be hid because of that woman. But, but if you're a self-promoter, if you're out to make yourself something, why would you want to hide from people? But yet he did. Hallelujah. He took on him the form of a servant. Notice that. He took on him the form of a servant. How, how would it have been to have been Jesus? You are God in the flesh. You are God incarnate. You're perfect. You've never sinned. Have you ever thought about Jesus never got a spanking? He couldn't have because he never disobeyed his parents. He was perfect. He never sinned. But yet you're standing before people that are learned in the Bible, and learned, we would call it the Bible, learned in the law, learned in the things of God, and they look at you and call you a devil. <laughs> they called Jesus a devil and said, you got a devil. They, they said God had a devil. If Jesus had any ounce of pride in him at all, that would have done it. But what did he do? He said, here's the problem. He said, that's the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost right there, is attributing the works of God to the devil. So he turned around and used it to teach the people, to support the people, to protect the people. Amen. Do you see this? Look at Matthew 20. We'll be done with this. Oh, glory. You could probably spend another two or three services just teaching on this. But verse 25, Matthew 20, 25. Jesus called them unto him and said, You know the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they they, they that are great exercise authority on them, but it will not be so among you. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So notice, Jesus said he didn't come to be served, he came to serve. And then he said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, serve each other. And you don't serve to be great. Greatness is found in the serving. Greatness is not found in somebody that's serving to be great. Jesus humbled himself. Notice, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Have you ever thought about the fact that death, it was impossible for Jesus to stay dead? The book of Acts says that Peter's message, it says it was impossible for him to be holden of death. Why was it impossible for Jesus to stay dead? He had never sinned. He became sin, but he had never sinned. He became sin for us. He took our sin upon him, but he never sinned. It was impossible for him to stay dead. He had to raise from the dead. He had to humble himself. He had to become obedient to death. He had to let death take him. And he wasn't too proud to do it. Because the Bible says that he knew that we could not receive what we needed to receive if he didn't take that step. So there was a complete absence of pride in Jesus. The most outstanding characteristic of Jesus was humility and servanthood. And notice what Paul said, let this mind be in you. Let this thinking be in you. One translation says, think just as Jesus Christ thought. So the result of this mindset of humility was that Jesus was exalted. That's what the scripture says. Wherefore, because of what we said previously, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when you, you get a body that's, that's in unity and more focused on, 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 on the other person and more focused 
on the needs of the other of the, of the other individual. Then you then you have a body that's moving forward in strength and unity. The Bible says two are better than one. Amen. If if you want to move forward in all the power God wants you to move forward in, you stay in unity. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand up tonight, shall we? Praise God. Hour and five minutes of power. <laughs>